as we're working through the prayers of the cosmos, and especially the Lord's Prayer, Klotz, the book I handed out, is constantly talking about kind of settling yourself. And that opens pathways to hearing God more clearly in our inner being. Yeah, so I did that, plus it's just nice to just take a moment and breathe. So that's why I did that. That's my two reasons for doing that. I want to back up and, and just kind of summarize. We're, we're talking about the Aramaic prayers of Jesus, and right now we're working on the Lord's Prayer. In the last week we talked about our Father, the birther, the Father, the Mother, also known as Dad, Daddy, Abba, our Heavenly Parent. And when you contemplate and think about our Father, it's, it really embraces an intimate, loving, compassionate presence. 24-7, seven days a week, 365 days a year, always present, always connected. Union, oneness, no separation. And when you, be, when you meditate on union and oneness and no separation, life changes dramatically. And we recognize as we contemplate our Father then that must, there must be sons, Right? So we recognize our sonship. All of creation has been waiting for us to recognize our sonship. And this group, and in other small groups around the world, that's happening more and more. We're not exclusive, but we're part of a growing picture, a growing awakening to our sonship. Mary. I was thinking about that because I... I don't know if you guys know how this works, but there's a section here that is the Lord's Prayer. And then he's got, you know, the little phrases that Terry's going to be working through. Um, so this is page 12. So that's the first, um, Our Father. And then on page uh, 16 is the one he's going on today, which is Who Art in Heaven. So um, as he was just talking... I was on page 12 just thinking about that unity and um, I was thinking about the part that says respiration of all worlds. We hear you breathing in and out in silence and that, um, you know, that our, he is the air we breathe and that, that is our union with our, our universe, our, our people, everything breathes, plants breathe, everything yeah. breathes. Yeah. So... That was the thing that I just started to think of when you were talking about our Father, was the respiration of all worlds. Yeah. That, that song, You Are the Air I Breathe. You Are the Air I Breathe. Your Holy Presence living in me. I mean, that's, that's one of those songs that you, even coming through into grace, that still, it still makes sense. A lot of the songs we've experienced don't make sense anymore, but that is one because I actually listen to it. Connect, so yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. As Mary said on page 12, you have that whole kind of it's almost like a poetic expression from the author of what our Father which art in heaven. You know, heaven is everywhere. Powerful parental spirit is everywhere. Presence is everywhere. David summed it up. There's no place I can go. 
to get away from your spirit. Can't go anywhere. And, you know, heaven can also translate universe, sky, cosmos, and it's a metaphor for peace and harmony. We're in union and oneness with the Prince of Peace. What does that suggest? That's really quite, quite profound to think that, you know, I never really thought about it, of being in harmony with the Prince of Peace. And if that's the case, then not only should we walk in peace, but we should radiate peace. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You should be able to walk in a room and have an influence where there's trouble or agitation. You should be able to just go, peace, and watch the room change. Yeah, yeah, Mary. Deep breath, just... <sighs> but I don't, think, I don't think we've experienced enough yet because it's not consistently in our consciousness. So that's why, you know, for years I've been talking about this whole, this whole Christian experience is, a, is a, an intentional focus. It's an intentionality. And the risk of like when we do things like focus on one thing, we tend to forget some of the bigger picture because we're so focused in the moment. So it's always important to remind ourselves of the big picture. The big picture being Dad loves us. And that we've been known before the foundation of the universe and there's nothing that can separate us from him and just keep reminding ourselves of the big picture. But in the context of that, then these these expressions of Jesus help turn the static off, fine-tune the, the visual, audio connection. connection. Thank you, Mary. I was struggling for a word there. So that's what we've been talking about, and we're talking about it from an Aramaic perspective. And Ron, I'm going to have you stand back up because I want you to play that video now. This is the video we tried to play last week, okay? And this is written by the, or it's the, actually the author who wrote this book, talking for seven minutes about an Aramaic view of, of God and, and looking at things from an Aramaic perspective. So we're going to do that one. Aramaic looks at life in other ways that are very foreign to a Western way of looking. For instance, Aramaic does not divide life between inner and outer, strictly speaking. The inner world, or what we tend to call our psychology, our own psyche, our prayer life, and our outer world are always linked. In fact, there's no strict separation between them. When Jesus says, again, for instance, as he's quoted to, and I've heard this quoted in many UU churches, when Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is within you, and then in another place it's translated, the kingdom of heaven is among you, in both cases, he said the same thing in Aramaic because Aramaic only has one preposition that means both within and among. It was always both. The kingdom is within, the kingdom is among us. And in fact, actually, kingdom was never kingdom. It's the Aramaic word malkuta, which from its gendering is more strictly queendom. So you could say, at least on these surface levels, we haven't really heard Jesus properly. Even queendom or kingdom are not accurate translations of the word malkuta because what he's speaking about is not some feudalistic dispensation or some new feudal reign that would come where a queen or a king or someone would be ruling over us, but he's talking about malkuta, which in Aramaic means a sense of vision with empowerment, a sense of vision that comes with empowerment where a whole community 
receives a vision, and then is empowered to make changes both inside, in their inner lives, and outside, in their outer lives. So Jesus says, this malkutah, which you're looking for, which you're hoping for, is both within you, it's among you. It's, it's all around you. You just have to allow it to arise and not be looking outside at differences. Likewise, Aramaic and ancient Hebrew before it do not, strictly speaking, divide heaven from earth. Where do we get these ideas? Well, these ideas come from another wonderful person, but someone who has nothing to do with the Middle East, whose name was Plato. Uh, Plato and Greek philosophy after Plato very neatly divide our universe between mind, body, soul, spirit, psyche, heaven separate from earth, inside divided from outside, time neatly divided into past, present, and future. Ancient Middle Eastern peoples, ancient Middle Eastern peoples had none of these concepts. They did not have these ways of dividing life. What tends to have happened then with Jesus' words and his stories as well as many aspects of his life, is that they have been strained out through a sort of Greek Platonic mindset instead of being heard with the same sorts of ears that Jesus' listeners originally heard them. Here's one very concrete example, or let's not say concrete, let's say very practical example. Jesus speaks in the canonical Gospels many times about what is translated as rucha de kudsha, Rucha de Kudsha in Aramaic. And sometimes this is translated as Holy, Holy Spirit, sometimes translated as Holy Ghost. Uh, Rucha means literally in Aramaic, breath. And in Aramaic, as well as in Hebrew before it, which has the word ruach, breath is neither simply the air that goes in and out of our lungs, nor is it some non-material reality. It's a connection that we feel Yes, within our bodies, it keeps us alive as we breathe, but also it's a way of feeling each other. Rucha is a way of establishing community, as we still find it in many indigenous cultures around the world. For instance, in indigenous Polynesia, where a shared breath in the Maori tradition or the native Hawaiian tradition is a deep sense of communion in, in you could say, in the clan, in the community. So rucha, a way of saying, you could say, not just my breath, but our breath. Where does my breath begin and your breath begin? Where, where is the separation? By extension, then, you could say the breath throughout all of Columbus is one breath without separation. And when Jesus speaks about Rucha de Kucha, he's looking at an even larger picture where there's a breath that is the breath of the whole planet, a sense of the whole planetary community, and even beyond that, that there is a, you could say, a breath to which all breath returns as it's on its way back to the Holy One, Allah, in Jesus' words, which is what is usually translated as God. So in Jesus' way of looking, you could say God, so to speak, although I wouldn't necessarily translate Allah with that word, you could say unity is breathe, the, the big being behind the universe is breathing us, breathing us, breathing us at all times in-breath, out-breath. When we cut our breath off and feel that we are the, the only thing in the universe, only my concerns, only the concerns of my little group, only the concerns of my nationality, then we are not connected to Rucha de Kucha, or holy breath. 
And hence, Jesus says in the canonical Gospels, if you cut yourself off from holy breath, you know, there's no way to heal that except to start breathing again in the bigger, bigger way of feeling. There are some other big differences between an Aramaic way of looking and a Western way of looking, but I'll take just a brief break and perhaps we can experience some of this rucha. Uh, Jesus says in the Gospel of John, Allah rucha, which is usually translated as God is a spirit, if you're familiar with your Gospel of John. And so literally, since there are only two words in Aramaic that are staying in the Gospel there, Aramaic doesn't have a being verb, is. It doesn't have a verb that means is, was, or will be. So when you want to put two things together, you simply put them together. Allah, sacred unity, the Holy One, so to speak. Ruha, Allah is breath. God is breath. Unity is breath. The sense of unity is to breathe together. All of these would be different ways of interpreting, of understanding these two words of Jesus in the Gospels. And in a Middle Eastern way of looking, Hebrew, Aramaic, or Arabic, we would take the words that a prophet would say and then look at them in all possible different ways that each way could have meaning for us at the moment. And if we look at the words, feel the words tomorrow, they may have a slightly different meaning, although all would have this meaning of the connection through breath, through breathing, through our own breathing, to something much larger, to unity and to each other. What do you think? Seven minutes, Ron? Okay, this is really good. I love the, uh, first off, I'm not going to re repeat other than the, uh, we're so influenced by that Greek, okay, uh, which, which was never, that came in after, okay? Not going to go there. But the breath, that was, this is what I got. First off, uh, it is intended and never to be uh, uh, moved from union, breath, the entire creation. Yeah, all, yeah. All breathing together. So once we, and basically once we go us down on any level to where you are not breathing with all, you have now shot yourself in the foot. Basically, you have cut yourself off from that. And the way back was what? He said that. He said, what was, how did you? Basically, you have to start, you have to basically start breathing, basically yeah. accept the union. <clears throat> yes. And etc., which would mean, of course, based on what I've just said, you would have to get rid of the us and them. That's why I don't remember so many, but when you condemn another, a person or a group, or you have, you know, you're thinking this condemnation or they're not, okay, even if they're in your same little herd, okay, but you do that, you basically are separating yourself and you don't realize it. So basically, uh, you, you, you shoot yourself and separate from that. And, and so he's yeah. quite nicely. So. Yeah. Can, can I piggyback on what Ron said? Sure. All right, hang, hang on a minute. Carol, go ahead. Ron and I are going to play with technology. You go ahead. Okay. Um, I just want to piggyback on what you said, Ron, that that's exactly what I was thinking Although I was going to describe it just a little bit different, but it was the exact same thing is that when I go to that us and them, or when I begin to, to, to cut myself off from somebody because of their behavior, because of their beliefs, because of anything, their dress, whatever it is, because of 
whatever I see in the, you know, when I cut them off, I'm basically stepping out of the kingdom metaphorically. I don't know if we can actually really step out of the kingdom, but I've stepped out of the awareness of the kingdom. I've stepped out of my awareness of oneness. And that can be very daunting when we think about that because, oh my gosh, how how often have I lived that way? How long did mm-hmm. I live that way? And how do I stop doing it, you know? Just have to be more conscious of it, perhaps. Our conscious has to be aware and we have to be dwelling on thinking about it or dwelling on it or keeping ourselves there. Otherwise, we just slip into the old ways or something. Maybe I, I would, because yeah. I do it all the time, too. I, I would agree. I, I would think, you know, it's, it's and it, I, I think our whole, maybe our whole purpose here is to become more aware of these things, more aware of our oneness, more aware of mankind's oneness, and more aware of how, how we're, um, how, how we can be more aware of it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Be yeah. more aware of our awareness. Follow up. Sure, Ron. Now, we know that the world doesn't operate the way it should, okay, and we just discussed that. Now, we in this room are experiencing more and more because of of the union that has been taught and and, et cetera. And we personally, uh, Mary and I and many of you have experienced, as you do this more and more, we just love everybody, Mm -hmm. including political figures, okay? And we do, and it's like, and it's like, it's totally changed. So, So we are personally, so even though the world isn't necessarily doing this, you can change this in your own paradigm, okay? And yeah. then, and then, so it's like, well, because if you went with what I said before, it's like, well, great, uh, Gary and Sharon are doing it, but until they do it out there, I'm pointing outside for those, okay, you aren't going to get it. Oh, you get the you get it uh, you get the benefit you get the benefit of it right? <laughs> yeah and can I can I just piggyback on that um when like Ron was saying the world system is is that you judge one another you you cut yourself off from other people you um you you hate people because of behaviors or beliefs that's the world system. And Jesus says he's overcome the world. And so if he's overcome, we can overcome this, this world um, system, this world's paradigm through our awareness of, of the kingdom and maybe even of what's not the kingdom. Um, when we become aware of that, I, I you know, we step out of the world system and then, you know, then we're living in the kingdom. And then I think we have maybe our influence, our influence changes. Mm -hmm. And then we can affect change in the world. I mean, Jesus didn't go around and, and destroy the um, government. He didn't go around doing that. He, he changed the world from the inside out. And I think he taught the disciples to change the world from the inside out, not to go from the outside and try to correct and fix and all that stuff that was going on Mm -hmm. out there. He came from here. We start from the inside out. Well, and you never, you never see Peter picking up another sword, do you? After the one time and Jesus said, no, that's not how we do it. 
Carol's right. It's all from the inside out. We never try to overthrow the natural realm because the natural realm is, is beating to some extent from a different point of view because the awareness of mankind hasn't risen up. So our compassionate, holy, present, consistent, constant at all times, everywhere we go, even if you close your eyes for a moment, there's no separation. The ultimate place of peace and harmony, heaven represents that. Too often we've been looking at heaven as an external reality. So because it's an external reality, we never move into peace and harmony. But the minute we realize and awaken to the fact that heaven is in, in us and among us, in us and among us, we can go to peace and harmony. Mary. So I was just reading the textual notes on page 17. Mm-hmm. In the bottom, it says, um, well, he talks about the inner shrine by which God's name is hallowed can be developed only through letting go, releasing some of the clutter inside that keeps us too busy to be silent and receptive to the still small voice. And then um, at the very bottom, this is what really caught me. It says in, in Arama- Aramaic, the prayer always directs us in a practical fashion. To make the experience of Abu'un useful, we need to create a place for this oneness to live inside. The light of Shem, the clarity or intelligence that arises in ultimate peace, mm-hmm. then becomes usable on an everyday basis, like a light in a lamp. Mm-hmm. That's what I, because I've been doing, you know, I um, I spend my time on quantum land, so, but there's one thing that I'm starting to see come up a lot, and that is the use of intuition and hunches and um, inspiration, and to be very mindful of those things as we walk along, because that's God in us speaking to us. So, but we're not going to hear those things correctly if we don't get silent. And as Greg was talking about the other day, we can be silent even in the midst of our activity. Our, our heart, we can center. We can center our consciousness, so to speak, our, our spiritual center. Still go about our daily routine, but being mindful of when something like that pops. And then there is the times when just being quiet just retracting or withdrawing from rushed activity because rushed activity will become static. So we fine-tune to the place of quietness and breathing. Um, what I might want to expand on that a little bit. I think that as we get better at this, we, come, we live in silence. We come from a place of silence as we're walking along. Yeah, yeah. And as we get better at it, yeah. but, you know, our bodies, the way they are created, have a way of, jerking our emotions and stuff around but i think the goal is to be able to stay in that place of silence and connectedness mm-hmm. even though there's stuff going on we're making decisions and we're living life and doing our job or whatever mm-hmm. but still inside we're like we're like walking in a different world from a different perspective yeah i think that's excellent you know and even if you flip back to page 14 there for a minute you know, the, with the Aramaic conception of heaven, it says, you know, the Shema that we talked about, is, and as we talked about a little bit last week, it's it's just being aware. There's light, there's sound, there's vibration, there's there's movement. And, and before we're done 
with the Lord's Prayer on the last week of discussing it, we'll put a video on it that's actually sung in Aramaic, and it just shows people just moving and breathing and in rhythm to the music. Because, because when, we, when we divorce ourselves from the input of all of creation, which includes light, sound, when we divorce ourselves from that, we're creating clutter again. And the, the the goal is to be open, twenty you know, knowing that his presence is twenty four seven. We should experience or be able to experience twenty four seven if we choose to. That's our goal. That is the goal. Now I'm not there yet, but that is a goal. Mm-hmm. Norman, then Stuart. When we first started learning about grace, we we divided things up like body, soul, spirit, time, above the line, below the line. And the more people, even the guy said it in the, in the thing there, but different things, it's all compartment, yeah. the different compartments, where it's taken away from union, where union is where the ultimate goal is. Yes, yeah. And, and, and if you, you notice, he talked about that compartmentalization came from Greek mindset. Okay. That's what we were trained in. So when we were first yeah. moving into grace, we were still trained in that, yeah. you know, and, and, is there really, I guess the question, is there really a separation between body, soul, and spirit? Or is it so intertwined that you really can't make the distinction? I think it's now, I'm beginning to think it's so intertwined that if you try to isolate it, you're creating more issues. That's where I'm at at the moment, Marilyn. No, Stuart, then Marilyn. All right, Marilyn, then Stuart. Like, get out of the box. My daughter says, you got to get out of the box, Mom. Which box? The box that we were put in. Yes. Yes, the box that we were raised in, I believe God is blowing apart. The paradigm. Yeah, the paradigm. It's paradigm specifically. Yeah. All right, let me come back over here. Norman, you want to follow up? Yes, remember that object lesson we made with the body, soul, and spirit with the PVC pipe? Yes, we still have, right? Now I see it like all melted together. There you go. There you go. There you go. And from a natural perspective or a clinical psychological perspective, it's nice to have them separated because then they don't have to focus on wholeness. They focus on one piece. Stuart, you've been very patient. Um, You know, it's just interesting. Yesterday I was at the Y. I sit in the hot tub, and that's my place of meditation. Warm and comfortable. (laughs) Womb-like. Yeah. And so I just sit there, and I, I try to spend... At least ten minutes of really good, solid quality time. Turn off everything, and that is my quantum. And I'm sitting there, and it's Saturday, and there's a four billion kids in the pool, and six billion screaming voices. And I'm frustrated and I'm irritated because they're bothering me. And all of a sudden, I said, "Hold on." I went from that judgment, saying, "Listen to this. These are kids, full of life, full of energy, full of happiness." And I stopped my grumbling, and I sponged. And I sponged all that in, and I saw myself change. You just take in this energy. Just sponge this in. There was an energy, a collective energy, just in those kids. You chose to see the beauty. Yeah. It was a decision. Yeah. And that's where I was debating and making this comment, but it just... Puts it so much into focus. Yeah. About what we're talking about. Let's talk about hallowed be thy name. What comes to, what comes to your consciousness when I say the phrase hallowed be 
thy name. Greg. The first thing comes to my mind is separation. Yeah. Because I feel I'm not holy. Right. But when you look at that, he's you're saying, holy be your name. He has invited you into his presence already. So he is holy, so you are holy. Yes. You're allowed in with him. And in, as you have been drawn into the circle, the attributes of, of the Trinity become your attributes. So holiness, hallowed be thy name, holiness, that's your identity now. And so, it's, you know, I wrote up here, holy be your name, let your name be set apart. But let me read you this. This is out of the Setting a Trap for God book on page 41. God's name represents all that is good and wholesome. So when you say, hallowed be your name, you're saying, your, your name represents your goodness and your wholesomeness and your wholeness. His name means that God is distinct and has the separate purpose of an enlight, enlightening the human family in all the ways of good and well-being. Hallowed be your name, Papa, is an expression of, also, I receive your goodness and your wholeness. I am good. I am whole. We begin to identify collectively into his nature and character. As opposed to separation. Mary? This is, this is really good. So this is on page 17. And that's the textual notes to this, how would be thy name. It's in the second paragraph, and it says in Aramaic, one makes a thing holy by setting it apart, separating it for a specific purpose. And that's how we were kind of like, you know, he's out there, holy is your name. Because this Aramaic construct occurs equally inside as well as outside of us, we might say that when we separate something, hold it inviolate, we create for it a holy place within. So we're not pushing him out there like we've been thinking all our religious life. Is when we say holy is your name, we're saying... I'm creating you a place for me, yes. for inside me. A holy is your name, inside me. Yeah, and then go down two paragraphs from there. The inner shrine by which God's name is hallowed can be developed only through letting go, releasing some of the clutter inside that keeps us too busy to be silent and receptive to the still, small voice. That's, that's the releasing exercises that so many of us yeah. have been working with. You know, something pops up and, and it just is troublesome and we just, we don't resist it, we acknowledge it and we release it. That creates space. Greg? I think that's why when we start into this way of thinking, to just being quiet and listening is such a first stage mm -hmm. because then you start to hear, oh, that is him. That, that is his voice. And so then when you get in a crowd, you know what his voice sounds like. So even though there's children screaming and playing in the pool, you still can hear that voice. You did the preliminary thing to know, no, I know you're there. And it's like, tune my ears to hear what you have to say. And it makes me think of that Graham Cook thing I sent to you that, you know, it may sound stupid, but it's exactly what you have to say. Yeah, yeah. Klotz says, 
When this inner shrine is established, and he's really referring, it's really uh, the concept of our inner prayer that our, where we, we go sort of retreat to in our heart for the, where the peace and harmony, where we connect. It says, when that place is established, it, become, it becomes possible to be, in the words of Jesus, all-embracing, usually translated as perfect, even as our creator source is all-embracing. So as we move into that, we, we get further and further away from them and us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Ron, Ron mentioned um, them and us a few minutes ago. So what, what you just read uh, before Greg spoke, when you were talking about the releasing, what have you, that is exactly what Stuart did in the hot tub. The irritation came up. He recognized it. And then he was able, whether he did it consciously or not, I don't know, but he was able to let it go. And then it made room for God to show him the beauty. Yeah. 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 And in part of this whole concept of hallowed be thy name, then, is to look at God in the reality of who God says he is and how we relate. Because if we look at, if we go, God, that's not who you are. If he says, I'm loving you, go, oh, no, you're not. We're not really in this place of recognizing how we relate to his wholeness, his goodness. We're not in a place of recognizing that we are one with the ultimate creator of everything. The minute we start on denial mode, we're moving into separation mode. That's false humility. The, the more you walk this way, you're going to have a absolute know that you know. Yeah. And almost to arrogance. Yeah. And perceived. I mean, you know, I mean, especially to the 41,000. No, that's good. So we recognize that in, in the hallowed be thy name is this concept of holiness, but we're not separated from it. We are, is, we are holy because he's declared as holy. Right, and he is in us. And I, I've told some, probably most of you this story, but I spent a year back in my vineyard days, I spent a whole year working through Jerry Bridges' book on holiness. And it was, I mean, it's probably 150 pages. And every time I would spend time working on that book, I'd get agitated. And I would get agitated. And finally, after a year, I picked that book up and flipped it across the room and said, this is impossible for me to do. And I heard, yep, it is impossible for you to do. (laughs) Good job. (laughs) But it's not impossible for him because he's already done it. We are already already in the reverence of the hollowness of his being. We're there. And it's not focused on our behavior. It's focused on our identity. Mary. I just had this little inspiration. And remember how it says in the word, Behold, I have prepared a place for you in the presence of your enemies, right? And we do the same thing to him. Behold, I have prepared a place for you. And so that's that's what our union looks like. Yeah. We prepare a place for each other. And and not to get something, but to recognize the relationship already exists. We want to be in that, the joy and the excitement of that relationship. Union looks like. Yes. Preparing places for each other. Yes. Norman. So I'm thinking of this guy that wrote the book about being holy. Do you think think he actually did it, or is it like this? 
I, th I think he believes he did it. Do as I say and not as I do. I think he believes he did it, but it was, it, it was just all about works. And I just, I just couldn't master it. I didn't have enough energy. I didn't have enough focus. I didn't have enough perfection. You didn't have enough holiness. I didn't have enough holiness. <laughs> I want to read this. This is a quote from Professor, uh, Professor Scott. It's in this Setting a Trap for God book. The setting apart of his name will invoke a healing wherein all will be drawn into the intimacy of Abba. Say that again. The setting apart of his name will invoke a healing wherein all will be drawn into the intimacy of Abba. So what we're talking about is we're, in, in, we're you know, we believe setting apart means moving it out here. Setting apart just means preparing here. So as we're preparing here, as we're receiving here, it invokes a healing. Got something you need healed? As we contemplate our union and our oneness in, in, the, in the concept of his holy name and his goodness and his wholeness, we're drawn in deeper into intimacy and healing springs forth. Oh, shoo. Wow. That was a kick in the side for, with goodness. <laughs> oh, I just, oh, wow. I can never get far enough down the road with this stuff. At first glance, the petition to hallow or set apart appears to understand reality as divided, which would be unique in Jesus' language. But the name to be set apart is Abba, which connotes reality as whole, where reality as whole Status is destroyed. In other words, the separation is destroyed. This transforms hollow into that, or so that the setting apart of such a name encompasses all within it. Reality, capital R, becomes divisionless as it returns to its childhood to when God is Abba. So our reality and connection is all about returning in that childlike state that we talked about last week to goodness, to wholeness. And seeing it as real, feeling it as real. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to feel it 24-7, because sometimes I'm going to get pulled aside by something. <laughs> but always coming back. Ron? I was going to say, uh, yes, you don't always uh, feel it, because sometimes we're temporarily below that line. <laughs> yeah. Not yeah. you, Ron. Uh, no, I never, never. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, re it's returning to our... Innocence. Yes. Good way to summarize it. Very nice. So, so then, then we, we, we have in this, so, this prayer, Thy kingdom come. Look on page 19 of the handout book. And you've got this creative fire. It's, it's chapter 3. And he, this is his insert into the concept of kingdom come. Create your reign of unity now through our fiery hearts and willing hands. Let your counsel rule our lives, clearing our intention for co-creation. Do you realize, if Greg Braden is right, 8,000 of us can get together and see peace in Ukraine, and it has to happen. Yeah. But can you get 8,000 people on the same page? Unite our I can to yours, so that we walk as kings and queens with every creature. So, I can't should be stripped from our vocabulary. Because I can do all things through Christ, right? 
Desire with and through us the rule of universal fruitfulness onto the earth. Your rule springs into existence as our arms reach out to embrace all creation. Come into the bedroom of our hearts, prepare us for the marriage of power and beauty. From this divine union, let us birth new images of a new world of peace. Create your reign of unity now. Thy kingdom come. That's thy kingdom come, and feel free, Mary. I mean, when we, when, again, you know, as Klotz was saying, it's not just about us and, and Abba. It's about this, this collective perception of our union and oneness. I mean, it's one thing to, be, to recognize our union and oneness in the vertical relationship, so to speak. But in a horizontal relationship of all mankind, God is in the middle of that because Christ is the heavenly man who's, who came to join the horizontal perspective. God has never left the horizontal perspective since the cross. He joined our dimensions. Yes, yes. And so can we begin to embrace a larger reality where our Christ-likeness, our union and oneness begins to penetrate the reality of others around us? And that was not a rhetorical question. Can we begin to do that? What does that look like? I love it. That's co-creation. That is co-creation. That is embracing a quantum reality. And I, you know, I was listening to last Sundays and editing last Sundays yesterday. Two things happened. For the first time in the entire time I've been doing it, I got tired of hearing myself talk and had to take a break. You can laugh. It's okay. My wife laughed. That was yeah. your first time? First time. Oh, right. But secondly, in the midst of that, I had this question pop into my mind. Is the light that talks about when God created light and he created darkness, is the light the visible realm and the darkness the spiritual unseen realm? And I and that came out of nowhere. And I'm sitting there. Again, the light being what? The visible realm, and backwards darkness being the unseen, the unseen realm. And I have to go back and calling those things that are not as though they are. Yeah, and I got to go back and I got to go back and and relook at that whole paradigm now because of one question that popped up when I least expected it, and now I got to go. God, is that you? Because it came out of nowhere. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's going to take me a while to get that, though. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. And when you really search out, kingdom has lots of implications. If you're in a physical king, ruling king mode, then it's about land and it's about territory, right? And if you're in a meta, more of a medical, metaphorical, it's about God's sovereign counsel, and it's a, it's a state of divine counsel where God's divine presence is always releasing wisdom and counsel. Thy kingdom come. Your wisdom and counsel come. If you're in the marital chamber. If you're in the marital chamber. You know, but you know what? Yesterday, I don't think I was in the marital chamber and that question popped up. <laughs> you know, I was, yeah. I was, I was in... Well, you don't think you were, but you were. I probably was, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I wasn't conscious of being there. So... There's this whole concept, which is a shift of not a physical environment, 
but a metaphorical spiritual environment of divine wisdom and counsel is within us. Has he not given us everything that pertains to life and godliness, including divine wisdom and counsel for the moment? You see, now, now as we begin to look at this whole thing outside of an earthly kingdom realm, and, and Jesus made it clear, this, the Lord's prayer should not be about an earthly kingdom because he didn't come to establish an earthly kingdom. He came to establish a divine understanding of who we are and who the Trinity is and how we relate, not only between Trinity and us, but between Trinity and all of us and how we play out that role. If we are truly the sons of the king, manifesting it for such a time as this, wisdom and counsel should be like this. And we open our hearts to it as we meditate on these. <laughs> our, king, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Do I see, can I see, can I get myself to a place of, I begin to expect holy wisdom, divine wisdom, divine counsel to spring forth and why wouldn't I, if I am already in union and oneness, part of the circle, then I should be going to expect these things. And I should talk myself out of talking myself out of it when inspiration comes. Right? Because right. when inspiration comes, under the, on, in Western evangelical theology, we were taught, you better question where that came from. Was that the pizza? Was that the devil? Oh, and go ask the elders. Go ask the elders for confirmation. <laughs> What about over here? You guys got anything coming on this side of the room? I like this side of the room. It's well-balanced in my mind. <laughs> Nothing from this side of the room. Uh, let me come over to this side of the room. It's not as well-balanced because it's only two instead of three. But anything you want to you inject? <laughs> I'm in one of those moods at the moment. Uh, Gosh, hearing nothing from over here, I'll come back over to here. So when you said balance, that's just another word for union. Yes. Yes, it's another word for union. Did I hear your something say something? I, I didn't quite catch what he said. He said balance is another word for union. You can believe that. I can accept that. Because we've, we've been very certain to, to define terms, and for Norman, his divine union is including balance. I'm good with that. And here's, here's some things about understanding that his kingdom come is, is about also imparting divine wisdom and counsel. When we pray, let your kingdom come, we are actually saying, let divine spiritual forces, Father's wise counsel, or parental loving advice guide our lives and direct us in all our ways. I'm on page 49 of the Trap for God book. And he also says, God's counsel will always guide us away from trouble when we consult the Father within and heed the spiritual direction. Now, we're always free to reject the counsel, but we do so at our own natural risk. In other words, there could be a natural consequence for rejecting divine wisdom and counsel. You know, you might drive into the snowstorm when if you'd have taken the left back when he told you, you would have avoided the snowstorm. So those are, those are just some of the things that relate to realizing that the kingdom is more about divine counsel than a spiritual or than a physical place or or geographic situation. Now that doesn't mean God doesn't care about geography. He does. Okay? But he's going to use us to to implement things or talk to us of things about, about, about uh, the, the, the geology. Jesus taught his disciples to pray for God's kingdom and not 
for the Davidic political kingdom. The prayer is for a genuinely spiritual social kingdom, a reality that rules from inside the hearts and minds of all human beings. So when we're praying, thy kingdom come, we're not asking for a military victory. We are asking God for, for divine wisdom and counsel that we can share, we can use to create, we can use to visualize and use our, use our imagination like in Ukraine to bring peace. Greg. You, you just said something that dropped things in my brain. Um, when we say thy kingdom come, again, that separation your kingdom's up there, come down here. Mm -hmm. When they built the ziggurat in Babylon and tried to build it higher and higher, it was their goal to have God come down to them. Mm -hmm. That was why they were building it, and that's why God was furious with them. Mm -hmm. But how many times have we sung, Come Lord Jesus? <laughs> Come down to us. I don't oh, think I've sung it. Do you think that makes yeah. God happy? I haven't sung it in seven years, so well, go ahead. No, <laughs> that's 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 what goes on. It's yeah. Come down to me. No, I'm not coming down to you. I you want know, you to recognize it's, it's, it's my. It's the same sin that they had in Babylon, building the ziggurat, the Tower of Babel. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You know what's interesting about that is that song "Kumbaya." The word "Kumbaya" means. God come visit. So it's just, you know, I mean, it's so ingrained, this separation, and it's, it's amazing. It's yeah. And the disciples, the Jews were looking for what? A ruler king, right? Military. Which means hmm? a military king. And Jesus, and if you interpret that, that, that thought, thy kingdom come, as a military victory or a military leader, you're going to get crucified. You are, because here's what happens. Listen to this. Jesus was saying that the kingdom was not a political, materialistic kingdom that would be opposed upon humanity from without. He knew that human rule alone without God's leadership as Father would bring strife and division. Jesus knew that God's kingdom embraces all nations and peoples impartially. In God's rule, authentic justice prevails for all because one equal measure is extended to all nations and people. Because of God's rule as Abba, Father, all political structures would be affected. All races and nations are his children. Now let us examine the Aramaic word for kingdom from a linguistic point of view. Jesus was repudiating, but yet the Western evangelical church picked it back up in one sense. How do I know? because Jesus is coming back to rule with an iron hand for a thousand years. That's the interpretation that comes out of Revelation, right? That's inconsistent with that's what, what Jesus was. That's not what Jesus was teaching. He was teaching, it comes out of the hearts of man. Yeah, this, again. Yeah, go, right there, go ahead. This kind of seals that whole thing, what you're talking about. The first paragraph under body prayers it says, once we have created an inner temple of peace and devotion, this heart place can be used to clarify our goals and to break through to a new sense of creativity in our lives. With the help of the one, we discover a new sense of I can, 
The birth of this creative power happens in childhood when one begins to feel and say, I can do this myself. In meditation on this line of the prayer, one begins to discover that the small I can unite with the larger and only I, what Jesus called Allaha, the oneness or God. And that is, I think, what Jesus was trying to get across. It's like, we're in union. You can create from that place of union within. And, and, and that's the way I want it to be run. That's the way I want it to happen. I'm really liking this discussion. It's taken me longer to move through this than I anticipated, but you know what? The discussion is just great. The revelation is great. I mean, I'm tingling all over right now. Just in, It's just because there's just an excitement about this and, and sense that we're really on the right track here. So. And I'm excited because, like I said, we, Ron and I spend the primary portion of our study always on quantum. And this is so quantum. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is. From our perspective, we're just lighting up because it's, uh, people have said that Jesus was the quantum man. Yeah. And how he, how he walked and how he thought and how he related to the Father um, is, is how we can. Yeah. And the stuff he did, we can do. Yeah, and, and it helps keep us Christ-centered in our quantum approach. Absolutely. So many people have embraced quantum and, and rejected <laughs> Christ in the process. No, we're the small eye. Yeah, we're the small eye. Marilyn, I saw your hand. Best meeting ever. Thank you. I love to hear that. Best meeting ever. Every week, it means every week is the best meeting better. <laughs> Let's go from this way around. Any thoughts coming from over here, starting with Stuart? Not on today, no. Okay. Other than it really has been a great oh, day. Okay. Norman, you're good? Best meeting ever. Anything else you want to add to that? I'm so thankful I'm well. Amen. Amen. It's good. <laughs> Mary? I said my piece. Okay. Sharon, any thoughts? It's all good. All right. All right. Mr. C? Yeah, it's a bit one thing that hit me when we talked about the one piece of it was that, you know, when you talk about expectations, we get to the point where we just expect these things to happen when the expectation or the imagination leads to the Okay. Yeah. And repetition leads to embracing it. It does. Yeah. Ron? You're done. Carol, or let's go to Carol first and then Muriel. Oh, Carol. Okay, Carol, say, so good. Bye for now. Okay, Muriel, that leaves you because the first lady, not the first lady, signed off. Uh, the other lady. <laughs> I, I kind of I got stuck on, um, it's funny that somebody, I, I'm not sure who it was, that mentioned about the Tower of Babel. And I've been thinking about that for the last few days. So it's funny that it was brought up. Because yep. that that's separation where we're now we're not we're trying not to be separated we're trying to things seem to be connecting and it's it's, it's just an, I'm kind of stuck on that a little bit so it's just something I've got to work out in my thought patterns I suppose of why I mean I know why it happened but when God had that happen He knew what it would do and it wouldn't be stopped. Because it's still with us today. We still have so many languages and separations in that aspect. But I don't know where I'm going with this, but it's just something I've got to. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> like, that's I good. I could have brought it up, but it, 
it was on my mind. No, I'm glad. I'm glad because see, it's been on your mind, and and you got a little piece of it with Greg today mentioning that. So that's all good. It's all good. Um, I'm excited. We're going to pick up from here next week. We'll probably overlap Thy Kingdom Come and move on to Thy Will Be Done on Earth. We'll see how far we get. But let's let's run with this for a while because this is good. Okay.